0: Hey everybody welcome to West Seattle Christian Church online my name is worth if you are new welcome if not welcome back we're glad you're here so just a few uh, short weeks ago we started talking about spiritual maturity and we talked about Jesus's idea of what that is Jesus says that spiritual growth happens when you grow in the capacity and energy and depth to love God and love others this comes from Matthew 22 where Jesus gives us the great commandment. Jesus says that the entire law and the prophets are summarized in two commands, love God and love others. And this means that as disciples and followers of Jesus, our walk of faith should be constructed of those two things. And we talked about how you could hypothetically love God without loving people and vice versa. But the chart we put up is a good tool to help us consider what happens when we think we can do one of those things without the other. In other words, our actions mean something. And when you look at the chart, you realize that we want to be in the middle of the two axes and on an upper right trajectory where it's a perfect blend of those two. What we talked about is that loving God has always been about loving people as well. And when we love people well, we are demonstrating our love for God also. And when it comes to spiritual practices, We talked a little bit about when they are for ourselves, it's good, but when they're learning, leaning towards uh, the help and benefit of others, then they're even better. So prayer between you and God uh, is good for you. It's good. It's a good thing to do, but adding on prayer for others is a further step towards maturity in Christ. What we find as we grow into maturity spiritually is that these two concepts of loving God and loving others are to merge, uh, they start to merge into one thing, like uh, something that you do together. So spiritual disciplines aren't just a me thing, they're an us thing, God and others. But for when you get to the place where you are uh, doing things that are better for us, for others, uh, you need to work on your spiritual disciplines to do that. And so we broke this graph up into three parts, talking about God's part, their part, and our part. And the God part was about Uh, This invitation to trust God because there are some things that only he can do We have to trust God to do his job and we can't take it over from him and that's that's really much harder to say uh, We're much harder to do than to say Um, but we also talked about their part about how we spend so much time and energy being concerned about how others perceive us and What other people are doing and what they're thinking? we're so consumed about measuring up and measuring others up and how they're measuring us up. And we're way too quick to judge the value of a person. We talked about how we're not, we're not meant to do that. We'll look at where someone is in life and we'll place negative value on them while also at the same time kind of selectively scrubbing out from our own memory banks the times in our own life when we weren't healthy. And then we don't give others the same grace and mercy and opportunity that we would have wanted for ourselves or that we were given by others in our past. But that kind of leaves us with the question then, how do I engage with people? We asked, well, are we allowed to engage with other people? And yeah, we are allowed to do that. So we're going to tackle that over the next few weeks. Uh, the first thing I want to say, though, is that this message today is about you. It's not, it's not about others. It's about you. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three of Jesus' parables through the lens of you. Don't you put yourself in into these parables? So you should physically say this out loud right now. This teaching is about me it's not about them it's about me not about them because many of us have the tendency to say oh that was good That was so good so-and-so should hear this and so-and-so should hear that man I wish they would have heard that this is about you and we're gonna start in Matthew 25 Matthew 25 is where Jesus is starting to talk about the kingdom of God and we're gonna start in verse 14 again it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five master he said you entrusted me with five bags of gold see i have gained five more his master replied well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful with a few things i will put you in charge of many things come and share your master's happiness he says you've been faithful over a little so let's stop here for a second what's the image you have of this master We have sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Now, you know, it's up to you whether or not you want to just do the bare minimum, or, uh... Well, like Brian, for example, has 37 pieces of flair on today, okay? A terrific smile. Is he a cruel, overbearing, harsh, judgmental master where you can never do good enough? No, that's not really what we get from this text, is it? I mean, the master entrust his entire fortune to these three servants and then he goes away for a long time he trusts them it basically says he assumes that they're not going to run off with his money when they could have even the last servant could have instead of burying it but instead he returns the master returns knowing that they trust him and he trusts them and when he does when when the servant does a good job he says really encouraging and uplifting things to them well let's move on to verse 22 the man with two bags of gold also came. Master who said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So the master takes his entire property and it seems like he just liquidates it and he gives everything he has in the form of cash, in the form of money to his servants. And each according to his ability is what the text says. So. I want you to hold on to that because that's going to come up later. Now, we often assume that this is exactly what they should have been doing. Like they should have all been investing it somehow, but the master doesn't give any any command for that. So let's challenge that a little bit because there's no command that he gives them to invest and make more. He just sets the, them over it to be responsible for it. And then verse 24 says this. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, investing where you have not sown and gathering where where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy. Some versions of uh, translations of the Bible, for lazy, they say slothful. He You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the servant says, I was afraid. And then the master says, you wicked and slothful servant you knew that i gathered where i have not sown like you knew this this would and then your assumption was i was going to be some way towards you then you should have invested my money with the bankers in other words you could have walked down the street and instead of putting my money in a hole in the ground you could have put it in the bank and it would have earned at least a little bit of interest like put it in a savings account or put it in like a you know a, a cd at the bank or whatever What I want you to see here is that this master's expectations actually weren't that high. In this last scenario, the master paints a picture that the bar was actually pretty low. This is all the servant had to do. But instead, using the same amount of effort it would have taken to put the money in the bank, you took my money and you put it in the ground. What? I mean, I think he would have been happier if if he would have even spent the money trying something let's go back to the beginning and take another look at this in the beginning the master hands out different amounts of talents to the three servants and it says that he does this each according to his ability so he knew even this last; he knew what might happen giving the one talent to the one guy and we like to pick on this last guy but think about the other one who got the two talents for a second the one who got two could easily uh looked at the guy who got five and said hey why did he give five He could have easily had that attitude or he could have done exactly the same thing that the guy who got one talent did and go bury the money instead he actually does something with it he's basically like my master has given me something to do something with and he goes and he does something he gets something done he tries something so what i want you to see in this text in our context today we're quick to compare our stories to other people's stories We are quick to whine and complain. We're quick to say, we've been given too little to do anything, or we've been given too much to know what to do with it appropriately. And sure, there are some five talent people in the world that, you know, they're really annoying. (laughs) And you know who you know, they can do anything. Seems like they can accomplish whatever they wanna do in life. And you know what I'm talking about, I think. But guess what? God made them that way. And you are not God, and we have to trust him in his part and what he is doing in the world. And then there are some people who are like the two talent people. They can do a good amount of things pretty well. Their skill set might be really broad and they might be really effectual. But then there are also one talent people. And you know what? I know a lot of these people and you do too. And they do their one talent incredibly well and with passion and they're amazing at it. And they make a huge impact in the world. Our job, is not to compare ourselves with other people. Our job is not to make excuses. Our job is not to whine and complain about the circumstances of our life. Our job, your job, is to take what you've been given and go do something with it. And this is why righteousness matters, and this is why purity matters, and this is why sin has such a devastating consequence on our lives, because those things make us into something that we're not. And then, out of fear, we take our talents that God has given us and we bury them for one reason or another. Instead, God is calling us. Jesus is asking us to be the best version of who we are. And to be the best Jesus thinks we can be, there are certain things that matter. We need to study Scripture. We need to memorize Scripture. If you can memorize the lyrics of your favorite song on the radio, then you can memorize a few Scriptures. And this is why community matters, being with people in the church, being with the church because other people help me be better. This is why you should be also like the best employer or the best employee possible. You should also work on being the best husband or the best wife or the best parent or the best kid possible, the best single person, the best friend to your friends. Be the best at who you are and with what God has given you and go do something with it. You have a part to play, recognize what it is, God expects you to do something in his kingdom. He made you the way you are to do whatever it is. So do it, don't bury it. And that's basically the implication for today. Our job is to be the best version of ourselves. Our job is to be the best version that we can possibly be. That's our job, which means we need to get past ourselves. This means you need to stop making excuses, stop blaming your environment, stop stop blaming your situation stop blaming your upbringing your your whatever whoever whatever you know you have to stop complaining that you only have one talent when someone else has five or that you've been given so much and so many talents that you don't know what to do with them so you sit there with analysis paralysis you have to stop that start being the very best version of you and let Jesus work with that Now, for the rest of you, we're going to leave it here for this week, but for the rest of you who are in one of our Kim Folk groups, uh, then I have some other additional questions for you that would be good to discuss. And one of those is, what what stands out to you about this text that we just read? What does the text say about God? What does it say about other people? How can you specifically live this passage out in the next few days? Maybe the best way for you to to do that is to make... Um, to be, make good on what you think you can do is to create an I will statement and tell somebody what you're going to do. So think about who you could tell about what you've discovered in this scripture from this message. Who will you tell? Until next time, I'm Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church. Stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.